And now it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, Hop Along John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. If you love the outdoors, enjoy salt or freshwater fishing, this is the show for you. We'll cover most all of the fishing tournaments and events with special reports while providing you with the information you need as to how and where to experience the best fishing opportunities in Southern California. Baja, Alaska, or just about anywhere the fish are biting. Rod and Real Radio brought to you by El Cajon Ford at Broadway and Main or online at ElCajonFord.com. Whether it's time for a new or used car or truck or you need to take advantage of San Diego's best quick lane for service with genuine Ford parts, brand name tires at competitive prices, remember nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Real Radio, the best stop on your radio dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to another Sunday edition of Rod and Real Radio. I am your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy, and it is a pleasure to have you all here this evening. We want to thank you for giving up some of your Sunday evening to be with us. I think we've got a jam-packed show tonight, one that you're going to enjoy. Let me just get go over some of the guests. Scheduled tonight is One Bass Director Billy Egan. He's scheduled to be with us, and he's going to talk about the 2016 One Bass U.S. Open at Lake Mead. It's going to be happening September the 12th through the 14th, it is the largest bass fishing tournament here in the West and possibly throughout the entire nation. So we're going to want to hear about that. It is going to be the 42nd year this tournament has been uh, uh, run. So we're going to want to hear all about it. Hopefully we'll be able to get a hold of Billy and find out what's up. And then coming up also... You know, last week we talked about there was a transition between the bluefin and the other sheets coming in. Well, this week did the you-know-what hit the fan. And we're going to have Captain Bill Wilkerson from Malahini Sports Fishing with us just to tell us exactly what happened. And then later on in the show in the 6 o'clock hour, you know, we have been in drought conditions here in uh, the southwest for, uh, you know, a fairly long time. Our lake level has been low. Hey, we want to know what is happening with the actual fish populations in a lot of our favorite freshwater compounds. So California Department uh, of Fish and Wildlife Biologist, Russell Black, he's going to join us in the second hour of the show. We're going to go through a lot of your favorite fishing holes, talk about what's happening, talk about the fish populations, what species are doing well there, what aren't, talk about quagga mussels, and maybe... A few or three stories that uh, you might be interested in hearing. But before we get to all of this, let me introduce to you the co-hosts for Rod and Reel Radio. First, this individual is the voice of 1-800-BASSBOAT. Not only that, he's a pretty good fresh and saltwater fisherman in his own right. Mr. Stan Vanderberg. Stan, how you doing? Well, so far, so good. Been uh, two days of torture with the Tournament of Champions where you... We fished uh, Saturday from from noon to six, and this morning it was uh, six to noon. And now I'm done bass fishing, and my heart's turned to salt, and I'm ready to go to the ocean. So timing is everything. I hear it just got good. 
I think you are going to be right into it uh, because it has turned. Not that it was that bad. Before we talk about that, Stan, let's introduce our audience to the other co-host for Rotten Real Radio. She is a national sales manager for Iserline. And when it comes to a sports food, I want to say congratulations to Kenny Thirks. He got a 2.30 in uh, California waters. Nice. Wow. You know, now we're, uh, when was this done, uh, uh, Wendy? It was either to this morning or yesterday morning. Oh, man. You know, uh, there has been some large bluefin tuna taken between uh, the 43 and the 182, a great population of them. What's happening, uh, Stan and Wendy, is a lot of the private boats are going after them because they can keep up with them. The fish are on the chew. The sports fishing boats, though, looking at the numbers that are in for the past couple of days, all of a sudden things have just turned around, and the yellowtail bite, the yellowfin tuna bite, and even Dorado mixed in there are really in there big time. And we'll have Captain Bill Wilkerson on in the next segment. We're still trying to get a hold of Billy Egan. He's uh, Right now, uh, he's not in cell communication with us to talk about the U.S. Open. So we'll talk a little bit about the fishing. And, and Stan, I'm sure you'll probably want to let us know a little bit about the tournament of champions you were fishing in. Well, it was uh, the ABA's tournament of champions and uh, the end of the year. And fishing has been off the hook. I mean, if you're going to... If you're going to win a tournament at Casitas, you've got to have 20 pounds. What's that? Well, hold on. Wendy had a question, Stan. What was that, Wendy? Where, where was your TOC, Stan? Up at Casitas. Oh, okay. Oh, in your backyard. In, the, in my backyard. The only problem is I've been in Texas and Baja and not here. Pre-fishing <laughs> so oh, was not part of this deal. <laughs> so, although the fishing has just been incredible. The lake... It's dropped and dropped and dropped, and you have to re-kind of learn where you, the fish are moving. But once you kind of figure it out, um, almost every tournament we've had, it takes 20 pounds or better to even be in the hunt. Um, on, and even in the summertime here, with the, after the spawn and the fish are kind of lean, uh, 19 pounds is where, you know, 18 or 19 is where you've got to catch every day. And uh we had uh, the Tournament of Champions winner was uh, Brandon Mays and, and Kurt Epkin. With, they ended up with 18 pounds a day, basically. Nice. Um, for this it went for 30, 36 and change, almost 37 pounds for two days, which in any body of water is pretty doggone good, 37 pounds. Uh, but in the, in the biggest weight one day was 19, right at 20, 1980-something. So the the fishing up there has been really really good. I did not. I caught a million fish. Had a great time. The worm bite, Texas rig was on, and so was the jig bite. And so I was in seventh hog heaven. I just didn't get any hogs to go to heaven with. Yeah, uh, that seems to be the the case down here in the night tournament stand. You know, I've fished the night tournament uh, a couple of weeks ago at uh, Lake Otai. There were plenty of fish in the two two-and-a-half-pound range, but it was just tough getting one with shoulders on it. Uh, and then uh, National Bass West, they ran an event uh, at Lake Dotai again uh, uh, this past uh, Saturday evening, Sunday morning, and the fishing was a little bit better. It, it took maybe for the best three fish. 
10, uh, you know, plus for three fish, but still not great big fish. And then, you know, we go over to Lake El Capitan where we've been doing some day and night fishing. The day totals have been pretty good. You know, they've been in the 15 to 17 pound range. But that's the San Diego, fishing. what's that? So that's good fishing. That's good fishing. But San Diego Bassmasters, they had a club night tournament over there on Saturday. And there were uh, there was a nine and an eight and a couple of sevens and a six come out of there. So even with all this pressure that we've got on the lakes right now, uh, you know, both here in the San Diego area and there in the Los Angeles area, they're still pumping out some good fish. And now you're getting water levels rising in these lakes. Diamond Valley is raising, uh, uh, Castaic is raising, uh, uh, Casitas. Is, is the water level still down there or is it raising, Stan? It is now. Uh, it's, we're launching. Uh, there's two, there are two main ramps. The main ramp uh, that we used to launch off, and then there's one called the Coyote Ramp, which is, uh, further north, takes you about 11 minutes to drive over there. But once you get in the uh, campground area there, and and now you're driving all the way to the bottom of the ramp across the roadway to an area that when they built the dam and they were building the area there, there was a parking lot and and there was a launch ramp built on that parking area, and that's where we're launching from now. It is as low as it's been since they built the dam. Um, if they, I, I I hear if it drops another five feet, they'll they may be closing the lake. Now, they have not got, you know, it's not like they can pump water in from the delta or someplace else to, to that body of water. But um, I know that they can let it up from above, but somebody in their brilliance passed the, the law a while back that they had to divert water down to the dry river to make sure that the steelhead would run up there. <laughs> and the lake quit getting water. So now they're they're changing that. If it rains again, they're going to try to put, divert the water into the lake and see if they can fill it up. It's it's pretty sad. Well, you know, Stan, uh, you keep your questions, and Wendy and also myself, we're going to have Russell Black on at uh, 6 o'clock. He is the state biologist for the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. He uh, takes care of Region 5 and Region 7, which is... Uh, a big, big chunk of Southern California, and we'll uh, we'll go over each of the main lakes and uh, find out what the fish populations are and what he knows that we may know about what's happening uh, to the water level and the futures of the lakes over here. But uh, he has uh, he has some interesting information, I think, and uh, I think our listeners will find you know this information to be good because uh, at least down here in San Diego right now, Lake El Capitan. Uh, they're still taking water out of it. They say that it's supposed to be from natural evaporation, but I don't know. When the you know the lake goes down uh, uh, two two and a half feet in a week, you kind of scratch your head and go. That's a lot of evaporation. <laughs> <That's> a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, but at the same time here, Stan, you know we've been running some night tournaments on on Lake Otai here, and Lake Otai is filled, and. The depth of tules going around the lake is incredible, and there is absolutely no reason for the big fish to come out of those tules. So we're fishing at night. We're fishing at the edge of tules. You know, some of these tules go back maybe 40 to 100 feet to the shoreline, and so we're fishing weed grass. And, yeah, there's a lot of juvenile fish out there, but the big fish aren't coming on up. Rumor has wow. it that, that the lake is going to be dropping a little bit. 
uh, towards the end of the summer and the fall. They've got to do some work on the dam. And if that happens and those big fish get squeezed out of the uh, 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 the uh, the toolies, just we just might see the edge of the toolies. <laughs> yeah, we we just might see some uh, really great fall fishing over there. So you know the night fishing thing too. I mean that the fish will come out of the toolies at night if they were fishing on there. Uh, at Casitas, I know that it, it takes twenty five plus if you're night fishing to win. Uh, with your fishing up there, I mean, uh, the guys during even during the weekend, you know, of course, the weekend when the tournament's on. The fish that were eating, where they were all fives and sixes, are now you know twos and threes. So, yeah. so that's just part of the deal. But I think, boy, if if they drop the lake, and you have the even regular tournaments, but night tournaments on that thing would be horrendously fun. Oh, that it it will be. We're looking forward to it. Especially one of the things about Lake Otai, it has cleared up considerably. And so a night tournament in a clear lake is just about where you want to be. That's why over the years, San Vicente was such a fantastic night tournament lake as opposed to Otai or Hodges uh, and even El Cap down here. Yeah, we do okay at El Cap, but at, at San Vicente, it wasn't, it wasn't unusual to have, uh, you know, three fish that were 20, 22 pounds. And uh, you, were, you were culling... Uh, a four-pound uh, fish all night, and they they weren't helping your uh, your creel weight. <laughs> Don't you love those? I mean, it's nothing better than culling fours. Yeah. As a matter of fact, one of the places where uh, Russell Black, who we're going to have on later on, where he has been doing a lot of shocking, is at San Vicente. So we'll be able to talk a little bit about the health and population of, of the fish there. Since the lake has been closed since uh, 2007, and uh, they have, uh, you know, built the dam now, and the lake now is up, I think, 70 or 80 feet over what it uh, uh, used to be. It's 30 feet uh, above what the uh, uh, the high uh, uh, mark used to be, and it still has another 35 feet to go there. They're bringing water into that lake because what they have to do is they have to test the new dam. And then I am not a concrete expert, but there's something about when the water gets soaked into the dam, uh, the concrete sets up a lot better when it absorbs some of the water. So uh, that's at least what I hear. Everything there is going well. We're not going to talk to Russ about what's going to happen about the opening of uh, San Vicente because he has that. The problem still is, with the uh, boat dock over there, uh, they had put in a self-adjusting boat dock that uh, unfortunately does not self-adjust. And, <laughs> and I don't know, Stan, uh, I'm, I'm not super familiar with the boat docks at Diamond Valley, but I think Diamond Valley has a self-adjusting boat dock, too. And they do. They, they run them up and down as, uh, as the lake rises and, and falls, but they've got it on a cable system that works. It seemed to work pretty good until... They ran out of cable or ran out of water, <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> well, at San Vicente, they seem to have enough cable. It just uh, it doesn't work. It's, uh, it's binding up in, in the wheels that are supposed to turn as the water goes up and down. And as a result, the uh, dock is submerged and the, uh, the cables are sticking uh, out of their runs. And 
Uh, people would have to limbo underneath them or high jump over them to get on the docks. And then what they'd have to do is they'd have to wade through water on the courtesy dock to get out to the docks. It's kind of a mess. I know what they're looking at right now is, first of all, redesigning, re-engineering, and then they have to remanufacture, and then they have to install, and then they have to test. So right now, optimistically, the opening for San Vicente, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, is looking like the uh, the first quarter of 2017. So looks like we're going to be fishing Otai, El Capitan, Hodges, Diamond Valley, Skinner, Castaic, Casitas, and all those lakes before we get a chance again to hit Well, all uh, that's going to do is leave those fish alone through another spawn season. And if the lakes come up like that with all the brush in it, that's just going to be nothing but good for the lake anyhow. So, and, and I can only imagine how good the fishing is going to be by the time, you know, maybe for press day we all should go down there and test drive <laughs> that baby. <laughs> You know, and if they have problems with the dock, you know, they could take a a lesson from Buena Vista. You know, just hook it up to a tractor and push the thing in and pull it out when you're done. (laughs) You know, for some reason, Stan, I don't think the city of San Diego is going to need a a press day to encourage people to come to the opening of that lake. Uh, What Uh, they're going to need is crowd control more than anything else. (laughs) Well, it sounded good to me. Yeah. Hey, uh, Stan, Wendy, and I, we're going to take a break right now. Coming up next, we're going to be calling up Captain Bill Wilkerson from uh, Malahini Sports Fishing and find out exactly what's happening with this bite off our Southern California coast. You're listening to Rod and Reel Radio on AM540 or at com. Stay tuned. There's still more show to come. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect. Finally, a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specialty heat treater to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California. Boat California. Save California. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. 
H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, H&M Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. 2015 and 16, Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with the brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your bait casters, the PTA design has the new PTXA frame, lighter, stronger, bone crushing drag, Quantum Fishing. We are performance tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619 466 8355. This segment of Rod and Reel Radio is brought to you by the makers of the original balloon fishing clip system, Balloon Fisher King. Now you can fish the precise bait depth desired with these easy-to-use clips and 100% biodegradable natural latex balloons. All you do is clip, inflate, bait, and fish. Look for Balloon Fisher King clips and balloons at your local tackle dealers or go to balloonfisherking.com for further information. It's a big deal, you know. I've always wanted to be on Rod and Reel Radio Line. <laughs> I won the Bassmaster Classic. I did a, a McDonald's commercial, but now I know I've made it. I fulfilled my dream. <laughs> that is just absolutely awesome. And everyone, welcome back to Rod and Reel Radio. I'm your host, Hopalong John Cassidy. Wendy Tushihara is with us, and uh, still uh, Stan Vandenberg. And uh, Wendy and Stan, we are. Having difficulties, we're batting a thousand right now. Uh, Bill Wilkerson is not in cell communication, so hopefully he'll be giving us a call here in a little bit. But boy, has that saltwater bite just exploded! I think this is what the information we were trying to get out of uh, Bill. Now the half-day boat still doing great bottom fishing, but out of San Diego, whether you're going out of Seaforth. You're going out of Point Loma. You're going out of Fisherman's. You're going H&M Landing. The overnight boats, the day-and-a-half boats, the three-quarter-day boats. The bite is on for not only yellowtail, but great yellowfin fishing, and they're getting them on down south. And in that mix, there are nice quantities of nice Dorado. So, Stan, it looks like the season all of a sudden has arrived. Uh, looks like we lost Dan. Can you hear him? We lost Dan, too? Hey, nope. <laughs> we're still here. Oh, okay. Oh, the, there you are. Yeah, this is, a, this is a great night. I said, not only do we lose our first two callers, but we lost Dan, too. Stan. No, no. It just kind of <laughs> faded in, faded out. <laughs> That's all right. Well, we're talking about that the bite off our Southern California coast has really come on. Now, what was happening is it was just a week ago we were talking about fishing big poppers. And for these bluefin tuna, they have gone from the big poppers to things like the flat falls. And, 
Stan and Wendy, one of the colors on the flat falls that really has picked up that I have absolutely no reason to is the white or, and chartreuse one. It, it, I don't know what it looks like, but right now the fish are eating that color big time when it comes to the big bluefin. Then the, the glow-in-the-dark one and then the, the big one that everybody's been throwing is that pink and blue one, too. You know, that's... You, right. they, any, they say anchovy colors. The anchovy color's been the hot one, but, you know, everybody goes comes back and you see the blue and pink ones in the face of the fish. Or, and now the chartreuse and that glow-in-the-dark one have come into play. Um, and there well, and there know, used to be just small ones. Go ahead, Wendy. You know why that glow-in-the-dark one is, has a lot to do with it? It's because, you know, last year, Marcus Medic on the new land, he figured out the pattern and figured out... Um, how deep to go, and he's using he's dropping down glow jigs, and that's how he got all his big fish last, fish last year, and that's what he's doing this year. He's doing the same thing, and he's going in about 60 fathoms. Okay, guys, hey, let's uh, get it uh, right from the source because we finally made our uh, connection with Captain Bill Wilkinson from Malahini Sports Fishing out of H&M Landing. Captain Bill, what a difference a week makes. What do you think? Hey, guys. Good afternoon. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great, but uh, we are excited about what we're hearing of this bite happening uh, uh, out of San Diego here. Well, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with the overnight guys. I know the three-quarter day guys have been doing pretty well on the Yellow Hills and Barracudas and, uh, you know, the occasional Bonito there. Uh, Yellowtail have been averaging anywhere from 12 to, I want to say, 30 pounds, something like that. You know, with uh, the larger fish uh, not being predominantly of the catch, but, you know, pretty pretty steady fishing for the most part. You know, we're averaging anywhere from 50. Hang on a second, okay? Airplane going overhead. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, we, uh, Bill, we understand that those fish are uh, pretty good, that they're actually getting some a lot of nice fish in the 20-pound range and some 30-pound fish. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's. It's it, we're averaging any we're averaging about sixty uh, fifty five to sixty fish per day when we get off the dock. You know we're starting to run every day with twenty to thirty people. Uh, the weather has been absolutely phenomenal. You guys need to come out here and get in on some of this action. Uh, today uh, there are out I do believe with uh, twenty two people and they had fair fishing today. He told me uh, when I talked to him he was in rolling into one stop of uh, jumpers, and uh, he told me he had to go, and I hadn't heard for, heard back from him yet. So in this past week, uh, Bill, has the Malahini gotten into any of the uh, uh, the bluefin fishing? Because the, uh, the, the overnight boats seem to be doing pretty well. But the boats uh, that were day and a half, two and a half days, it's, it's like they may have overshot them, and that those fish are a little closer. Well, you know, the bluefin... If, if I can be frank, I hope the bluefin for the three-quarter day fleet stuff goes away. Yeah. I mean, because it's, 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 it's finesse fishing. You know, we, we carry, you know, 35 to 40 people. We have two or three people that really know how to, how to deal with these bluefin, and they're the only ones that catch the fish. Yeah, we see them jump around the boat. We might hook a few, you know, on rental gear and stuff like that. But, I mean, for, for the average angler, I, I'm going to say it's, it's probably not, not – I'm not going to say it's not a good bet, but – the odds of landing one of those fish of those sizes is, is uh, pretty rare. Pretty incredible. Uh, we've been, yeah, I heard most of the guys are. There's a lot of them that hang them, or they get, but they just get them on the wrong gear. Uh, they're not prepared oh, for yeah. that. And, oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, uh, for instance, uh, last time we chased bluefin, we hooked I think 25 of these of these 60 to 120 pound fish, 
and 17 of them were on rental gear. <laughs> you know, and it's, oh, that's you horrible. get a, you, you know, yeah, you, you you get a three way on 40 pound, and you just watch the spool just blow up. You know, it's like oh gosh, okay, that sucked. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no we, kidding. But right. I mean, it's 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 fun. Don't get me wrong; it's fun to hook into something like that. But I, I think uh, our efforts uh, this past two week, week and a half, two weeks, fishing the islands has has been very, very, very productive for us. You know, with like I said, the advent of Yellowtail showing up and actually sticking around to form some sort of consistency to where how far you know, out is that Yellowtail every day to try and capture some of this Yellowtail action that's going on. How far is that Yellowtail coming? It's come from you know up up from the south quite a ways, and I hear there's a lot of it outside too. Uh, I understand that there's, uh, from talking to people, not only Yellowtail, there's Yellowfin tuna, uh, last I heard last week, 70 miles. And, you know, this Yellowfin tuna is anywhere from 12 to 45 pounds, I'm told. Uh, more of the nicer models in the mix. Uh, right. There is, huh? That's, that's nice. nice. You know, I mean, you get yeah. that 45-pound Yellowfin, that's, that's some pretty good stuff. Oh, that's plenty. That's plenty good, you know. Even, even I, I think a yellowfin in, 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 in the 10 to 20-pound range is good as well. Yeah. For our yeah. type of angler anyways. Well, how about a three-quarter day for uh, the yellowfin tuna now? Uh, uh, you getting any feeling? Uh, are they going to be uh, hitting, uh, you know, the three-quarter day or right now, or are they just a little farther out, Bill? They're still far. They're still further out. Like I said, last I heard, they were at 70 miles. I heard there were some fish the uh, day before yesterday caught it uh, up and around the 43, but that's still out of three-quarter day range for us. You know, we're, we're looking at fish to come into the 30, 29, the 25 to 30-mile, 30 35-mile max range for us to go out and, have, and, and be effective in what we do. You know, we want to try and give our anglers as much fishing time as, you know, as, as possible. And I, I think driving 40 miles, fish for an hour, an hour and 20 minutes and turn around and come in home and, and you don't connect. It's kind of sad. It's kind of tough. Well, what, uh, when it comes to gear, what are you recommending right now, uh, people uh, fishing aboard the Malahini on the three-quarter day uh, trips? Uh, what the, should they be bringing with them and uh, what should they be ready to go after? If it were me, I'd bring a bottom setup. I'd bring a surface setup as for throwing a jig. And if you don't have any of those, a basic bet, a bait setup, 20 to 40-pound uh, test, number two-odd hook, no hook, I mean, no no, no weight for uh, the bait fish. Most, I'm going to say 95% of the fish that we've caught in the past week, week and a half, has been bait fish on the anchor. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's there. It's all about watching the current break and watching the fish, you know, come up the chum line and then just you get busy. And it's, it's pretty phenomenal to hang the whole boat all at once. It's kind of cool to see. Now, uh, now that the fishing season looks like it's really to come into uh, full force, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the situation with the bait? Are we getting uh, uh, those anchovies still, or is it uh, we getting some better sardines in the mix? Uh, we've had Dean the past week, week and a half. Well, it's a mix. It's a mix. You know, Dean and Chove, which is cool. I mean, the, the, uh, you also we've been catching has responded well, you know, to the, to the Cho-Dean mix. We're actually fishing with the Dean as far as uh, live bait hooks and things like that. Wow. 
Well, you know, I think we're right on the break of, uh, you know, seeing some great fishing, and I think those yellowfin are going to be in close enough, uh, Captain Bill, that the Malahini is going to be going after them too. But right now uh, you're suggesting uh, that everyone have a passport or a passport card that is fishing with you because that's where you're going? We are fishing to Coronado Islands, and we will be doing that until I I, I, I or my uh, captain sit down and discuss us going offshore. I see no reason for us to go offshore as of right now. I still believe that stuff is too far away. So, yeah, a passport and or a passport card is required to fish aboard the Malahini. Once once we make the transition to offshore, we'll let everybody know like three or four days in advance and give them a heads up as to what's going on. So, uh, Bill, does it look like right now with uh, the way the fishing is that the uh, Malahini is going out most every night? We're running every day, yeah. We're running every day. I think we're running with a minimum of, I'm saying probably... I think 13 or 14 people, and we're the max load we had so far this year was, I think, 46. So we're nowhere near full, and we've been productive at every trip that we've made. You know, you happen to make uh, the comment that some of those fish that were caught earlier were caught on the rental rods, and I know H&M Landing has tried to upgrade some of their equipment there. And do you find the uh, uh, a lot of the passengers taking advantage of that, and is that helping their fishing too? Oh, I, I, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely those a, those Avit reels that uh, the H&M has upgraded to, has, I think it has made a big difference, especially with our yellow uh Casualties, if you will. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. Because <laughs> they're casualties. You know, the... Uh... The, the whole world has gone, uh, seemed to have gone crazy this uh, past uh, uh, few months on uh, getting Spectra on the lines and everything else like that. And I know the deckhands are, uh, are really good in working with the people and putting on leaders. Uh, are, are the guys fishing right now on the boats, are they using just Spectra to a, a short uh, fluorocarbon top shot? Or are they using a long monoliter? Or, or, or what kind of situations are you running into with the uh, line there on the boat, Bill? I know with with regards to uh, our rental rods, it's straight monofilament. Uh, I personally, uh, all my reels are full of spectra with a top shot of probably twenty to 20, fifteen to twenty five yards of uh, straight floral to that. I personally like fishing straight spectra for all type of fishing that I do because I, it, it to me it seems like it's going to be more responsive. You feel it immediately when it hits. You're fishing the bottom. You feel the rock when you bounce over it. Uh, do I believe it makes a difference? Yeah, I, I really do. I really, really do. It gives you uh, more line capacity as far as, you know, what you put on your spool. What about the guys yeah. that are fishing these, this bigger bluefin? Um, they're fishing. Uh, I, I, I know that three of, three of my anglers that are regulars fish spectra. With uh, 60 pound fluorocarbon, a uh, top shot of 60 pound fluorocarbon. Short top shots? Uh, yeah. He said, well, you might know him. His name's Danny Wade. Oh, yeah, Danny. Danny's a hell of a fisherman. <laughs> yes, he is indeed. He says, no, nah, you don't need that much. This top shot is fine. So, okay, Danny, let's try it and see what happens. And it, it works. You know, I, think, I don't think anybody is, real, is using any, anything more than. Than that. All right. Well, Captain Bill Wilkerson from Malahini Sports Fishing. If 
we want to get a hold of the Malahini or find out what the schedule is or book a trip or see how it works into our schedule or our work situation, how's the best way to get a hold of you, sir? Uh, you can do it one of two ways. You can call the landing office, which is H&M Landing at 619 or you can go to the Malahini website uh, page, which is www.malahinisportfishing.com. And on both of those sites, you have an online booking tab or even our Facebook page, Malahini Sports Fishing. And click on the online booking tab and make the reservations that way. Remember that the ticket price is 146 for adults, $135 for juniors and seniors. The military also $135. Fishing's good this time of the year, guys. Come yes. on down and get on the boat. Yeah, not only don't wait for the dock total, go fish when you can fish because, uh, you know, it might just break loose the day you're going to be there, and especially the way the fishing is right now. Don't miss out on it. Okay, I'll be down you there know, Friday. <laughs> deal. You know, I, I honestly, what, what I'd like to see is I'd like to see people that want to come out and go fish. Not That's necessarily it. want to kill, catch yellowtail. Just want to come out and go fish. I mean, you get those kind of people in a boat, it makes for a, a more enjoyable trip. Now, don't get me wrong. I like my yellowtail killers, too. But I want people who just want to come out and enjoy themselves with their family. Well, not only that, you know, uh, Bill, we did a whole show last week with women in fishing. And, and you get some of the gals out there like Katarina uh, Eckhart and Lori Heath. and uh... Lori is the bomb, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't know her? <laughs> Lori is such a cool person. You have no idea. Yes, I do. Yes, I do indeed. She fishes with us every Sunday. Uh, I think she's fishing. You know, she's spreading the wealth around. She fishes whenever she can, and uh, yeah. I, I tell you, and she catches fish, does she not? Yes, she does indeed. Well, I have to. I have to send a shameless plug to her. Her, her husband Rob too. Very cool guy. <laughs> We had them on last week, and, man, they uh, spoke nothing but, uh, you know, aces for you and the crew of the Malahini. So we appreciate that, uh, Captain Bill. Bill, we got to take a break right now, but we'll keep on checking in with you to find out what's happening out there in the three-quarter day range out of H&M Landing with Malahini Sports Fishing. Thanks a lot for being with us. Hey, guys, I love doing this. We'll love to talk to you guys next week, and have a wonderful evening. All right. I'll be I'll be with Bobby Taft next week, so Ooh. I'll tell you what, what happens when I get back Monday Monday night. Okay. I'd be interested to know that too. Yeah. Hey, uh, you're listening to Ron Real Radio on AM five forty or at RonRealRadio dot com. Stay tuned. Stan, Wendy, and I will be back with the Southern California Inshore Report after these messages. Angler's Arsenal is the serious angler's first choice for hand-poured plastics, McCoy line, Spro products, Gamakatsu hooks, G. Loomis fishing rods, Shimano products, Ovid reels, and just about anything you hear advertised on Rod and Reel Radio. Go to anglersarsenal.com and visit our online tackle store. See the huge selection of Western Plastics hand-poured baits, all at anglersarsenal.com. Angler's Arsenal tackle store is conveniently located in La Mesa, just off Interstate 8. Give us a call at 1-800-428-8730. If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. 
Iser Line makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top angler-tested Iser Line tools and accessories. Iser Line premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. All Iserline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. Iserline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their product. Catch what you've been missing. Quality guaranteed. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California. Boat California. Save California. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. This portion of Rod and Reel Radio is brought to you by the Rockley's Fish Release System. Now you can quickly and easily release fish suffering from barotrauma back to the depths they were caught. Look or ask for the Rockley's at your local fishing tackle dealer. Stan, Wendy, and I, we want to welcome you back to Ron Real Radio, and we also want to remind you, the California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways, they'd like to let you know, do not leave boating safety up to the other guy. Safety is everybody's responsibility. And talking about safety and responsibility, I want to give you a program note for next Sunday night. We are going to have uh, a member of the Coast Guard Auxiliary here, uh, Joanne Davis. She is... An instructor, and she runs a class for the Coast Guard Auxiliary called Suddenly in Command. And we're going to go over some of the things that you may not be aware of or that you should be aware of, of what happens if the skipper of the boat isn't able to do his job anymore when you're out fishing, whether on a private boat or your own boat or whatever it is. So we're going to talk next week about boating safety and a class called Suddenly in Command and what you may need to know that can save your life. Hey, now it's time for the California Inshore Report. And with us is the fish icon himself, Captain James Nelson. Captain James, a good Sunday evening to you. Happy Sunday to you guys, a family of Rod and Real Radio. How are you guys doing? Hey, we are doing fine dindy You know, uh, it seems like uh, the bite off of our... Offshore area is just really get beginning to heat up. The uh, sports boats are into the yellowtail. They're into the yellowfin tuna right now. Uh, there's some Dorado showing on out there. And I guess what we want to know for those people that want to be fishing in San Diego Bay or immediate offshore area, uh, what's happening? Is the fishing still good there, James? Oh, it's excellent, John. You know, it's, uh, as long as you're not thinking about what you're catching, there's always something to be, to be caught. Well, I guess you fish with the the fish uh, are, uh, you know, so let, let's just talk about, with this water heating up the way it is, uh, uh, is there any bonefish to be had in, in the uh, uh, the back of the bay, or is that something you just haven't been targeting here lately? No, we've been, we've been uh, not really targeting, so to speak, but not really running from them either, and yes, they are to be had. Uh, we've got a couple this week. We 
We've got uh, mostly uh, bass, rays, a few sand sharks, that type of thing. And uh, on our kelp area, a lot of barracuda and bonita in that area. There's, and I'm sure there's yellowtail to be had. We did get one little one this last week, but no, I think for the most part, um, especially if you're throwing bait, I think you're just going to get those barracuda and bonita are going to jump on it first. So uh, guys that are chasing birds with irons, I think they have a little bit better chance of getting the local yellows. Or if you're trolling a big mackerel, you probably have a better chance of keeping the other critters away. Because right now we're just flooded with a lot of barracuda and the bonita are popping in too. So that's kind of t- taken away uh, right now that the bait bar just got the smaller size sardines. And I think those guys are just jumping up before the yellowtail get a chance. So unless you're patty hopping or actually, you know, in the area where you're more likely to get yellowtail over barracuda, I think that uh, trolling the big baits locally or throwing the heavy irons is probably the best bet to go. Boy, you know, uh, we are having a really hard time hearing you, Captain James, so if you could at least get a little closer to the mouthpiece or uh, whatever it is, uh, we'd appreciate it because right now you're coming through really garbled, and uh, that's the notes we're getting here right now. Talking well, about... I could possibly get any closer to the microphone that's right here on my face, but, you know, <laughs> maybe what I'll do is I'll stop talk, talking so garbly. <laughs> that or get out from under the water. Yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> maybe that's what it is. You know, if I only wore my life jacket. And there you have it. I'm above the water right now. <laughs> you know, you were talking about there being a lot of barracuda and uh, bonitas in the bay. Are uh, they working under birds, or do you just see them busting, or... Or, or how do you how do you tell uh, you know when you come across them, Captain James? You know the thing is, there's not a lot of fin fish around locally. There's you know some grunion and smelt, and that's about it. But as far as um, all the anchovies are actually in the bay, so around our local kelp, we're not seeing a lot of anchovies. We're seeing a lot of little pinheads in the bay, and yeah, working under birds helps. And then along our kelp, you'll still you'll still see a lot of birds powwowing. And uh, you look in the water, and it's just still loaded with red crab, John. There's so much of that red crab, it's, it's, it's not even funny anymore. It's kind of annoying. It's like, wish they'd go away for a while. <laughs> well, I don't know. Do you think if they'd go away, the fish would uh, start biting better, or do you think the fish would go away too? No, I don't think the fish that are here are going to leave. And I think it's the red crab are, are creating quite a bit of competition. And I think it's just it's keeping away a lot of the the local bait fish that we're used to seeing. And I don't know if it's because of the red crabs or the red crabs are just showing signs that the water, uh, the water color and the water uh, temperatures are different, and therefore the bait fish have followed that difference as well. So it's just funny. This is not what we had last year, and what I'm noticing, John, is every day we go out there, I feel like i got to start from scratch because every single day has been different. Well, uh, you know, what what's happening with regards to, uh, you know, I know there was a great sand bass bite out there. You were picking up some calicos. You were catching uh, some sheep's head. Has that bite been out there still? Because I know uh, you took our good friend Dr. Jim and, and his crew out there, and, and that's what he likes to do. Were you successful in catching fish? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, those fish are still there, and, I mean, they're more than there. They're, they're making home for their summer fling, so... Uh, they're definitely there. Uh, I think we just had a, a bass tournament out of Mission Bay yesterday, and, you know, 20 pounds barely got guys checks. I mean, there's big, big limits. I think our, our dynamic duo, the killer whale team, uh, 
again dominated, and they had well over 30 pounds for five fish. So wow. those yeah. fish are definitely still there. It's still happening, and it's everything that we'd want it to be for the guys who want to target bass species. And, yeah, if you drop below them or even just fish your bass lure a little bit too slowly, you're going to catch a bunch of red, uh, maybe even a lingcod. But, uh, yeah, it, those those bottom fish are there and just waiting for us to drop something down on them. And if you got a red crab on a dropper loop, all the better. You know, uh, I I'm hope I'm not giving away any secrets, but we've found out from a lot of fishermen here uh, that have come in during the week that right now the mouth of uh, San Diego Bay is on fire, whether you're, you're fishing the channels or you're fishing the flats or you go over and you, you fish the grass beds, uh, whatever it is. If you like to fish jerk baits, most of the guys that come in here, obviously, they're, they're coming to get uh, plastics and uh, uh, flukes. They're drop-shotting flukes for halibut. There's still a great halibut bite out there, but it just seems that from Ballast Point, forward right now that part of the bay is red hot it, it is john and i think it has a lot to do with temperature again once you get uh from harbor island on down that bay is just i mean it's poaching fish <laughs> but if you get uh, out towards the mouth you know right around uh, the whistler area that's only 65 maybe 66 degrees so it's still quite moderate was what you'd expect out of our coastal waters and so Coming in from there into Ballast Point area, even as far back as uh, the Bay Barge, yeah, you're you're finding temperatures in the high 60s, but uh, not not even in the 70s like you are from Harbor Island on down. We've got 79, 80 degrees down in the South Bay. It's just really hot. Like I said, the fish are coming up just poached. You know, from your records, is this something that's happening? Uh... Regularly at this time of the year, uh, Captain Jim, or uh, is this just, you know, one of the uh, manifestations of, again, being in an El Nino year? I, I, you know, John, I'm guessing El Nino. I'm not, I'm not brilliant enough to know all about the weather patterns as much as, you know, people throw the term out there. You know, we've been talking about El Nino now for six years, and I think it's finally really getting here. But, uh, you know, I, I really do think that it is part of that. But I can tell you what we're experiencing now, this is normally, you know, late, mid to late August weather. And we've been experiencing now for the last three or four weeks. So I think the hotter water just got here a little earlier than what we normally see. So when the, the water heats up like that, is the base stratified and you still, you know, do you still find, do you think, uh, probably 62, 58 degree water and in the, uh, you know, 35 to 50 foot area and, and then it, it gets warmer? Or do you think uh, with the way water flushes in and out of the bay, it just the whole entire bay is a lot warmer? Well, there is there is a lot of uh, beach warming going on, definitely in the south that, you know, I've uh, talked about in times past that, that I know helps in this time of year when what happens is when you get a low tide during the day, the beach heats up from the, the sun. The water comes in warm, and whatever it is, it's going to get warmer once it hits that hot sand, just like trying, you know, like your outdoor cooker would be. So you do get that. So you pull back towards the, the heavier part of the bay where you get deeper water from the bridge on out, and yeah, you can get into some of that deeper water. I haven't dove down there and checked it with my pool thermometer, but I know that it, it is a little cooler down there when we start catching a lot of bodies mid-channel, I mean, and that's what we did yesterday. Towards the end of the day, we were catching 
you know, 13 to 16 inch bodies out 50 feet of water, right in the middle of the channel. You don't see anything on your graph. You're just drifting along, and boom, you catch a bass. And it's, so that tells me that they're liking that water and for a reason. I don't think it's just because it's deep. It's probably because it's a little cooler. Well, you know, talking about a 16-inch spotty, that is a pretty good spotty. When uh, you bring those spotties up, you're normally, I think, catching them on plastics. Uh, uh, when they come up, though, are they uh, uh, erping up uh, red crab, or, or what What do you find that they're eating, uh, Captain Jim? You know, they have the, the, the basic usuals. Uh, we've had them coughing up the razor clams. Uh, they're having some type of same fish or another that they're regurgitated, usually is skinless, so we really can't tell what it is. Um, it could be lizard fish, could be smelt, could be anchovy, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, it's just the usual. I haven't noticed any in that part of San Diego Bay coughing up red crab. Now, Mission Bay, definitely, ever since, I think, late May, they've been coughing up red crab like crazy. But San Diego Bay, I have not seen evidence that a lot of these fish are eating red crab. But I can tell you, if you put a red crab on a dropper, you're going to catch them. <laughs> you didn't hear that from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Captain James, if we want to hear some for fishing information directly from you on the boat, get some uh, uh, real-time uh, uh, status, uh, how's the best way to get a hold of you, sir? Well, you could always reach me on the website or uh, try the Rod Real Radio website even or... You can check me out at 619-395-0799. Now, Captain James, just uh, people that might be in town because they're here for Comic-Con or a meeting coming up or anything like that, they want to put a half day in on the bay or anything, uh, they don't have to bring a lot of equipment with them. You could just meet them at the dock and take them fishing. Isn't that correct? Absolutely, John. And I have to tell you, you know, this past week we had the uh, MLB All-Star Game. I had a lot of calls, a lot of folks setting up trips, and and I had to turn away a lot of folks. So we got a lot of a lot of business came in due to that, as well as the you know the Arizonians and everybody else trying to escape the heat from the desert, Arizona, Nevada, etc. But you know, I can tell you, this is probably what my ninth year now, uh, where I've worked there in Comic Con, where I have not gotten a lot of calls during Comic Con, and and so I'm going to say it right here on the radio, to anybody who wants to wear a Chewbacca suit. <laughs> hey, come on and go fishing with me. <laughs> we'll we will do that. Because I have been dying to take Chewbacca fishing. Every year, come <laughs> I want to take him fish. I just think that would be so cool to fish with a Wookiee. That's just me. You know, you'd be the only guy I know that's ever done that. I'll tell or you. ever wish to do that. <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you right now. Chewbacca, if you're hearing this, Call me. I'll buy you lunch. We'll go over to Mitch's Seafood. We'll have fish taco. We'll go fishing. It's on me. Okay? You know, there you it, go. Jim, I don't know what you're talking about. Every time you fish with me, you're fishing with a rookie. So. Yeah, I'll tell you. <laughs> Not a rookie, a wookie. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, Captain James, thanks a lot for being with us tonight. We look forward to speaking to you next week, and you have a great week, okay? Hey, you too, guys. Always a pleasure. And look out, you might see some Chewbacca pictures on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is Ron Real Radio with Stan, Wendy, and Hopalong. Stay tuned. Coming up next from the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, state biologist himself for our region down here in San Diego, Russell Black will be with us. Stay tuned. A lot more to come.
You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main at El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California. Boat California. Save California. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, HM Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. Quantum Fishing's got something for everybody. From the smallest angler to the oldest veteran, we can get you out there fishing with the greatest reels on the market today. From the all-new for 2016 Icon PT to the Tour Mag to the brand-new redesigned Smoke Reel, we've got something for everyone in your family. Have some fun. Take a kid fishing. They're the future of our sport. Quantum, we are performance-tuned. You can get your Quantum products at anglersarsenal.com or anglersarsenal in the Mesa at 619-466-8355. Hi, this is BSS record holder Dean Rojas. El Cajon Ford helped me when I got started in my career and let them help you with a new F-Series Ford truck. And remember, nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We'd like to welcome you back to the second hour of Rod Reel Radio. Hey, the California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways uh, would like to remind you, a life jacket becomes very fashionable when it's too late to put one on. Buckle up before you leave the dock. Hey, Stan, Wendy, and I are here, and we want to welcome to the show special guest. Man, this is a, a gentleman I've talked to several times. Always find his information really interesting, especially in light of what's been happening with our lakes here in the Southern California area because of the drought situation and the fish populations in them. Let's welcome to Rod and Real Radio from the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, State biologist Russell Black. Russell, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, that's great, Russell. No, thank you for being with us. Russell, before we you know, get into some of the questions, tell us a little bit about the path that you took 
to get where you are today to become the uh, uh, state biologist for the California Department of Fish and Wildlife? Do, do you want the, 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 the short story or the elongated version? <laughs> I want the one that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll, 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 go brief, I'll go quick then. Um, okay. <laughs> so I grew up in uh, Smekula, California, at a small community called Lakeside Village, and I grew up bass fishing almost every day um, after school behind my house. And after graduating high school, I joined the U.S. Coast Guard. I spent four and a half years as a diesel mechanic um, in the Coast Guard. And I did that solely to, you know, get life experience and move around and see the world, but also because it was going to pay for college. Um, after the Coast Guard, I left. I worked on a bunch of boats, both as captain and also as engineer for a lot of charter agencies. And then I went to... Uh, Finished my degree up at uh, Humboldt State University, Northern California, where I studied marine fisheries. And from Humboldt, a lot of people don't realize this, but these jobs that I have, or any any wildlife resources job, is they're very difficult to get, and you've got to pay a lot of dues. Um, so while in school, I volunteered on any fish restoration program, any sort of anything I could really do to get me going in fisheries. Um, I've had internships working with swordfish in the Southern California Bight region. I've studied rockfish populations off of Northern California as an internship also. And then I worked for various agencies doing everything from juvenile crab settlement for Dungeness crab to Alaska halibut, coho, herring. Um, had a lot of seasonal jobs that took me around to a lot of places just to get a lot of experience. All right. Well, you know. Pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> How did you wind up, uh, you know, finally hooking up? Uh, were you a, a warden, or did you work your way up through the, the department, or were you hired on as a biologist right uh, out of the gate? I was hired on as a biologist out of the gate, but what I had going for me was military experience, a bunch of boating experience. I didn't do law enforcement um, for, for the state. Um, I was or did do some law enforcement when I was in the Coast Guard. Um, but mostly, I mean, I would say I did a very little bit of seasonal time with the state. All of my part-time temporary work as a field biologist or temporary biologist was all done with the federal government. And the state just picked me up um, through an interview process where I was trying to land permanent jobs, and I was applying for any permanent position from San Diego through Alaska with all the state agencies, federal agencies, and it just so happens that I landed a job in my own backyard, which is pretty pretty awesome. That is awesome. Did you uh, did you take over kind of where Terry Foreman left off? Is is that who you fit, kind of filled in for? Not necessarily. Terry Foreman was a senior biologist. He was a a, a staff manager, if you will. Um, he had biologists in my position that would work underneath him. So when Terry Foreman advanced, Mike Juicy, who manages a bunch of staff in the Inland Empire. Lake Paris, Elsinore, Diamond Valley. Mike took over Terry Foreman's position. Uh, My position was left vacant after Larry Bottroff retired from the state. That was the next question I was going to ask. Yeah. So so why don't you explain to us now, uh, you know, to to give us some focus on just what actually your 
you, you know, you're doing with the state right now. And I, I may have uh, misspoken when I, you know, said the, uh, what range of area you're doing. But what are you doing with the state right now uh, that, uh, you know, you know, it you're making a living on? Um, so give me one second. What I do right now is anything related to impoundments, freshwater fisheries, Southern California. So if it's a lake or reservoir, a small county park, et cetera, if it's an impounded water within the state of California and open to public recreation, my man for this region fisheries program. So I, I purely deal with you know, bass, crappie, bluegill, catfish from Santa Barbara, Ventura, L.A., Orange, and then San Diego County. Okay. Hey, Russ, you're kind of phasing in and out, so uh, when we get you in a good spot, let's uh, let's keep you there. So, you know, yeah, obviously there's a, there's a lot of fishing responsibilities uh, that are attached with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. So yeah. l- let's just start off. Do you have anything to do with uh, – uh, the trout fishing, the hatcheries, or stocking of uh, streams and lakes, or anything like that, uh, in the uh, Southern California area here. I do, yeah. So for the counties that that I manage, um, myself and another biologist that works up in Los Alamitos, he does a lot of inland fishing program stuff. Um, Brian and I will sit down and get the allotments from the statewide hatchery coordinator. They'll give us. You know, you have X number of pounds, and then Brian and I talk amongst ourselves to see what would be the best use of those pounds through our five counties. And then after Brian and I make our recommendations, we uh, sit down with the hatchery staff and see if our recommendations are feasible or not, or if they think there might be some sort of issues with it. Well, next time you say hello to UT Brian, tell tell Brian Wendy Rodmill Radio says hello. I love him. He's great. He does great for the community. You know, Brian, you know, obviously, there, you know, especially during uh, more of the wintertime, a lot of talk going around uh, uh, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife Stocking Program. Uh, uh, is it being reduced? What's happening with the program? Where are you seeing this program, uh, you know, going in the coming years? Um, I, I, I hope it's going to be going better. Um you know, with, with everything going on with the state right now, with the drought especially, we've seen that it's been difficult to get eggs for certain certain places, or we've had hatcheries that have had to shift gears because of warm water. Some of that stuff's been in the news, um, like the Nimbus hatchery coming out of um, Lake Folsom, and the water was too warm, so we had to move all those Chinook and, you know, and Steelhead out of the hatchery because they couldn't survive the warm water conditions that were coming out of Folsom. So with that said, I mean, the hatcheries are a really complicated issue. Um, and I don't know exactly how it all works out. But I know for me, you know, I'd, um, I'd like to see it remain the same, or if not improve. But with budgets and, you know, everything else, it's kind of difficult to forecast that, I guess. Yeah. Well, for our, our Southern California area, when, you know, we're looking at uh, – uh, 2016, 2017 for stocking programs for trout. Uh, do you see it being uh, maybe about the same? Do you see it increasing, uh, 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 or d- do you just don't have that much uh, 
you know, foresight into the future, just to, to really comment on that? Um, so I, I'll preface it. I don't really have that much foresight into the future, John, but I do know that, you know, a couple of years ago there was a big decrease in hatchery numbers, and that was solely related to drought and some funding sources problems. Since then, we've rebounded back, but, you know, if 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 last year was any indication, I think it'll probably be the same or similar to last year, just because we're seeing similar conditions and things seem to be kind of, you know, stabilized within, like, hatcheries and department and funding sources. I mean, I'd, I'd say, you know, probably similar to last year. All right. Uh, does your sphere of influence go over to the eastern Sierras, or are you more uh, Southern California? Um, I know a little bit about it, but um, I, I, I don't manage those areas. Those areas are managed by staff out of Bishop. Um, but, yeah, my, my area, its direct influence is just coastal Southern California from Santa Barbara to, uh, to the border. All right. Well, yeah. you know, uh, the trout programs here are on a, a put-and-take program. Are there any lakes here that you are aware of where there are uh, holdover trout uh, that are uh, planted by the department anymore? I know San Vicente used to be, but I don't know if there are any other lakes here uh, that are, uh, you know, that are still holdover trout. I mean, that, that's, a, <laughs> that's a good question. It's, it's one of those things we want to try at San Vicente when it does open. Um, but, you know, Diamond Valley used to have holdover trout. Uh, water quality conditions, especially the drawdown they had this last year, any holdover trout would have been gone just because of water quality conditions. And we're kind of seeing that in other lakes, too, where in full water years, Casitas, Kachuma can definitely have holdover trout. So could Pyramid or Castaic. Uh, but with the current water conditions, I, I just don't know if that's possible. All right. Hey, and, and I just want to let it be known that, you know, we talk about lake levels going up and down for whatever reason, and for the most part, you, you have absolutely nothing to do with regards to those lake levels, but you do watch over the fish in those lakes. Am I am I correct on that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. And, you know, are you able to add, uh, though, input when, uh, uh, you know, you think that there might be a population in, in jeopardy, uh, can you can you go to a particular agency or individual and say, hey, you know what, you're really putting this population in jeopardy, or uh, we've got to do something? Uh, it, uh, do you have any influence like that? We 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 do. Um, one of the things we we that I have to constantly think about is, you know, um, you know the interaction with with these organizations that that provide water and. If the lake's going to be brought down to, you know, like uh, if they're going to drain the entire lake, I mean, I mean, literally no, like no mud, no water, maybe tadpoles. Like if they're going to do that, that's one thing. If they're going to drain the lake to 2%, there's still water there. The species that, that we have that we're dealing with have a decent likelihood of surviving, and they're not native. They're considered by a lot of people to be, invasive in a lot of different agencies and there's you kind of got to pick your battles um with that being said the city of san diego approached me when they were drawing down barrett uh two or three years ago and i talked with the city and i pretty much told them you know this is a it's a pretty unique fishery in california 
you guys should leave it alone. I understand that you guys need to draft water for people's drinking usage, but we kind of talked about it, and what the city ended up doing was stopping the draft early, and what they also did was they took water at depth that wasn't oxygenated, that had poor water quality conditions for the fish, and they could get a higher head pressure on that drafting because it was done at the lower um, portion of the reservoir. So they got their water faster, and they still left that good oxygenated rich water while getting some of the other stuff you know, sent down the pipeline. So I don't know if there's a good answer to that question, John, but, I mean, it has happened in the past, but it's, it's tricky. Okay. Hey, yeah, uh, sorry. I, yeah. Sometimes I talk too much. No, no, no. We've got a, a number of questions that we want to ask you, but ask you, you know, first question is, hey, can you stay over for another segment or two uh, while we take a break here? Yeah. Um, would you like to call me back or should I just keep the phone? No, down? no, just, just, just hold on. We're going to, on. We're going to uh, uh, entertain you with a uh, brief segment of recorded commercials while you're waiting. So <laughs> we want you and our listeners to stay on. <laughs> hey, this is... This is Rod and Real Radio on AM540 or at rodreelradio.com. Stan Vandenberg, Wendy Tushahara, and myself will be back after these messages. If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California, boat California, save California. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, HM Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specialty heat treater to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is un- equaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fishing Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419. Or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. 
It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California. Boat California. Save California. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Hi, my name is Dennis Green, and I always love to talk about fishing. When I want the real information, I go to Rod and Real Radio. Those guys are who I thought they were. Hey, welcome back to Rod Real Radio. We've got Russell Black. He is the state biologist for uh, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. And, Wendy, I'm going to start off with you with the next question uh, for Russell. I think you've got an interesting question to ask him. Yeah, Russell, I wanted to know, does the state or Southern California um, have any plans to add habitat like Lake Havasu has? To add habitat? And like Diamond Valley? Yeah, um, so right now we're doing habitat programs at two lakes currently. In, well, we've done three in San Diego. We're working on a fourth. We've put habitat into Henshaw, Marina, Choyas, and uh, staff at Lake Jennings and I have talked, and we've gotten materials prepped, and we're probably going to start a really big habitat program at Jennings this summer. And what kind of habitat are you placing? Uh, I do hardwood brush piles only. Sounds okay. good to me. Yeah. <laughs> the bigger, the harder, the better. Yeah, so we've looked into a lot of things, and there's a lot that goes into habitat. One of the legal things is that it can't be trash, and it can't be construed as trash. So I'm not going to put in plastic. I'm not going to put in construction fencing, old pipes, toilets, et cetera. Um, everything that we're putting in is hardwoods, citrus, oak, manzanita, uh, avocado, and we're doing those. We're going to do some gravel spawning beds and probably some small um, rock pile stretches as well, too. Ain't nothing bigger than like a basketball as far as individual rocks. Now, Russ, it's okay for you as a member of the California Department of Fish and uh, uh, Wildlife to do it. But it is, if I'm not mistaken, it is not legal for a fisherman to put in habitat. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. What we have to go through is the whole CEQA a NEPA process of evaluating the materials that we're putting in, where they're putting them in, any sort of negative impacts that could be caused with the water, materials that could leach. It's about a it, – it takes a while to get all the permits in place. And one of the things that I do for myself and for the lake managers is make sure that we have all the legal documents in place so that if someone asks, what are you doing, why are you doing this, we have the secret document, we have the notice of exemption, we have the categorical exemption to do the work. Um, and, yeah, placing this stuff, if you're just a regular angler and you don't have any jurisdiction to management over the lake or the fishery, it is probably illegal. Yeah, yeah Stan, you have a, a question you want to ask? Well, yeah, I've been kicking around here. I, I started out as before I got into the business world as, to be a wildlife biologist. <laughs> just didn't get there. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I met a lot of the guys that were involved with the with the uh, industry and, and worked around, you know, Terry Foreman and Juicy are, have been friends for a long while. But the one thing that, you know, we've got and all the people around Southern California are interested in is the quagga mussel situation. And, you know, we have them in the, what's in the San Diego region. We They just uh, found them in, in Piru, but I think that was because they brought a patrol boat over from Skinner and didn't check the patrol boat. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> but it's affected a lot of the lakes. Um, 
Has there been any other spread? I mean, the, the, the fact that the quagga mussel has increased the fisheries in the lakes that it's been in is pretty interesting. I'd like to know what you know about that. I'm sorry, did you, did you say increased the fisheries, like improved it? Yeah, I mean, look what happened to quagga and Havasu where the smallmouth and, and largemouth population both grew, even in Mead and uh, uh, the Colorado River chain, and I think it's probably had a better effect on some of the lakes in, in the San Diego region, too. So there's, Why? Um, uh, that's a complicated question. So first off, there's no peer-reviewed scientific report that I've read from any agency that have stated that the mussels improve the fishery. Um, the red ear component of that might be one exception, but I haven't seen any documented reports on it. Um, I would attribute those fisheries improving, especially Havasu in the Colorado River, to the increased habitat that they're putting in as a relation to the mussel. Um, one of the things people don't realize is that the mussels are really good at their jobs. They filter a lot of water. And one mussel the size of a dime can filter five gallons a day. Wow. So what he's, what he's filtering out is all the nutrients for the filter-feeding fish, all the prey eye organisms for juvenile fish, newly spawned out, baby fish, you know, those fry that we see. And when you remove that immediate food source for those smaller fish and the filter feeders, the shad, and silver sides, you're going to see that move up the chain and you're going to get, you know, a poor fishery from it in general. We haven't seen, like, terrible fisheries out of it. Um, but I would think just offhand that the introduction of habitat for, what, 12 years by Bureau of Land Management in Havasu, that's probably got a bigger bigger thing to do with the improvement of that fishery over, you know. Well, I'll, I'll vote for that. I mean, I've watched the, from the very beginning when they started trying different versions of, of uh, habitat all, all along the Colorado River uh, chain. Mead, they had all kinds of things going, hay bales, plastic trees. Um, experimentation was part of the deal to find out what worked. Yeah. yeah I know for, for, for us, the thing that I always think about the quagga mussel and the zebra mussel is, the, the impact they had on the Great Lakes. And a lot of people in the West Coast don't realize it or maybe haven't read up on it, but when the mussels first became established in the Great Lakes in the late 80s and in the early 90s, the commercial fisheries for lake trout and whiting completely went away. Like, no commercial harvest. People lost their entire livelihoods because the mussels filtered out all the nutrients. And as a result, these baby filter-feeding you know, salmonids, trout, et cetera, lake trout, and everything in the Great Lakes just went away. They haven't had those fisheries recover yet. Really? Yeah. You know, well, that's interesting. You you were talking about uh, putting habitat and what the approved habitat is and everything like that. And obviously, Stan and I, we fished Havasu a lot, and we remember the cages and the palm trees and all those oh, yeah. things that used to catch all the neat type of lures that we'd go out and pay, uh, you know, twenty twenty five dollars for, and uh, we go, okay, it's just part of the price of, uh, you know, we got to pay to the fish god. But you were uh, um, uh, telling me about a a new type of habitat that's out that that maybe helps the fishermen out a little bit that are having that problem. Oh, uh, um, so it's not a new type of habitat. Who found it was the uh, San Diego fly fishers found these these things that we made online, and they said, "Hey, we want to try them." We heard they work well, and what it is, it's it's, it's water irrig- irrigation tubing that's flexible, 
and you stick that into bricks, and um, you pretty much make this spider-looking block thing. And according to the fly fishermen, it's really hard for anybody to get snagged or hung up on it unless you're fishing really big hooks. Um, because if your fish gets wrapped around it, you just play it a little bit, and eventually that line is going to put pressure on the irrigation tubing, and it's going to stand up or stand, just move and flex a little bit, and your fish will pop off. Um, that's one of the things that we tried for the first time at uh, Choyas with uh, Paul Woolery and the uh, San Diego Fly Fishers. Really? That's oh, pretty that, interesting. That's good. To, yeah. yeah, that's going to really help a lot because, uh, Stan, I, I don't know if I, maybe I was talking for you, but, you know, when those cages first came out, like over at Lake Havasu and, and the, the palm tree things that they used to use there, the plant, I lost a lot, lot of uh, tackle around those things while fishing them. But I've got to go with Russ there uh, that I think, in part, the habitat that they put in there, because there's habitat all over the place there right now, has really been part of the solution to uh, uh, the fishing population over there. Well, uh, you don't – every – Bass angler that fishes the tournament that does any pre-fishing on that lake has every one of those habitats marked, and and every one of them knows the right angle to cast on them now <laughs> to get the lure back or to get the fish to come out and and actually participate because they'll sit inside those the, those big racks of logs and in those cages. You know that you'd have to fish right next to them and just entice the fish to come out but every every angler out there knows where those habitat pieces are and that goes same that this goes back shoot 20 years or more uh to uh mead when they started putting the like one cove had the hay bales in it one had those plastic trees in it one had some laid down kind of log looking stuff that i never knew what that was made of but there was all kinds of different things in each cove i mean we all knew where that stuff was, and we fished around it. Some of it made a difference, and some of it didn't. But that's part of the experiment to make. Let's see what what works and what doesn't. Um, I think it's nothing but good that they they did that and they continue to do that. And I'd love to see you know when uh, look Diamond Valley had a ton of pipe and all kinds of things put it all all throughout that lake. So uh, it, and it was ripping when it started when we started fishing that lake. So I think it's all good. Well, uh, guys, let's let's start talking about some of these lakes that I know uh, Russell has spent a lot of time on, and and you mentioned Diamond Valley. Diamond Valley was down extremely low. Um, it was um, what what in your mind happened to the fish over there? Uh, there are some smallmouth in there. There are some stripers, some largemouth. How's the population of that lake doing, Russ? Uh, so Diamond Valley is not mine. Uh, that's managed by Mike Juicy's staff. Okay. Um, but I know that I know that the fishery in there is, from what I've seen in talking to the biologist Quinn that manages it, um, I think it's just you know it suffered from a water drawdown in the middle of the spawn during the spawn, and then was held at low levels. We didn't have really good windstorms, and it's just low low level conditions. Um, I think the fishery is going to rebound, especially now that they brought it up like 40 feet. So, <laughs> uh, Well, isn't the nature of the lake, though, uh, the way that they formed the lake and because of the earthen dams and the way that they they had to move 
a lot of the natural terrain of the lake in order to make the dams and everything like that. Has has it really put a crimp on the spawning areas for the fish, or is it just a matter of where the uh, lake level is, that what spawning areas there are, that the the fish can be successful in spawn there? I mean, I so I don't, I can't answer the first one, but I'd say that with with any lake, it depends on the lake level. Um, we've got lakes mapped out. Some biologists in the state like to have them mapped out with like ten foot contour, like a contour, the interval, you know, ten feet vertically going down. Other biologists like myself, I just like to have a, a, a generic map because we never know what the what the water level is going to be when it's there, and the majority of the bass. The, the bass, the crappie, bluegill, you know, stuff like that, they're not going to spawn deeper than 30 feet, 40 feet. You know, it's, most of those fish are spawning within 10 to, you know, 15, 20 feet, sometimes shallower. And I think it mostly depends on where the water level is, you know, you know personally. You know, uh, there may be some uh, people or neophytes out there that don't really know uh, you know, why water level really affects the fish, whether they be bluegill, crappie, uh, bass. Uh, uh, in your estimation, why are higher water levels better than lower water levels? I don't think it's the difference of higher water versus lower water. I think the number one importance would be stable water. You know, um, when you raise a reservoir and you've had a few years of a drought or if it's a new reservoir, when it covers all the growth, all the weeds, all the bushes, everything else, you're going to get a big influx of nutrients. Those nutrients are going to equate to, you know, healthier fish, as insects, everything else. It's just going to be a really productive system for a few years. Um, everyone sort of seems to call it lake effect or new reservoir effect. Um, but I think, you know, once that happens and it's stabilized, you know, I think a stable fishery, a stable water quality, if possible, would be more beneficial. You know, because when you bring a fishery down, you know, you're taking away shoreline, you're reducing the available space, you're, you know, removing preferable spawning or foraging habitats, and you're making these fish go and find new areas and new places that they can be successful in. Um, I know that'll never happen in 99% of the lakes in the U.S., but uh, I think stable's best. All right. Hey, we are speaking with uh, Russell Black. He is the uh, state biologist for the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Hey, Russ, can we get you to stay over just one more segment? Yeah, I can. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Hey, guys, uh, you are listening to Rod Real Radio on AM 540 or at Rod Real Radio. Stan Vandenberg, Wendy Tushihara, and myself, we will be back after these messages. Captain Chris Randall from Chief Sports Fishing. And Captain Chris, tell us about what's happening on the Chief now that the tuna season is upon us. It's here and it's time to go on the Chief. For those that are not familiar with the vessel, she's an 85 by 24 deluxe sport fisher that offers a wide variety of open party trips ranging from one to five days in length. We're also available for private group charters. The Chief's onboard anemones include a fully remodeled galley with comfortable seating for 25, twin flat screen TVs with hundreds of movies, two roomy indoor heads with fresh hot water showers, stateroom 
and open birthing areas, an impressively large deck area, 200 scoop bait capacity. We have twin six ton spray brine fish holds to keep your catch fresh. And our professional courteous crew will go the extra mile to make your trip a memorable one. To view our schedule, log on to H&M Landing at www.hmlanding.com or feel free to give them a call at 619-222-1144. You can also follow us on Facebook and at our webpage at chiefsportfishing.com. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth, moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey, bass fishermen, who do you call for your bass boat insurance? Well, if you're not calling me at 1-800-BASS-BOAT for your boat insurance, you're probably paying too much and may not have the coverage that you need. In 1974, I developed the bass boat program that is what all the pros use today. The reason? No depreciation or any partial claim for your hull, your big motor, your trolling motor, or your electronics until your boat's 10 years old. That's right. You only pay $250 to get your boat on the water for any partial claim, and we still pay a stated value replacement cost for your boat if you have a total loss. We're the only people in the industry that does that, and that's why we are the choice of the pros. So if you want the best, forget the rest. Just call 1-800-BASSBOAT. Call one 800 227 7262 or just spell bass boat 1-800 bass boat i know there's too many letters but the t is free and the calls on me that's 1-800 bass boat the choice of the pros for bass boat insurance for more information log on to 1-800 bassboat.com if the fish are biting i'm on my boat rain or shine of course i wear my life jacket it's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California, boat California, save California. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. And we do want to welcome you back to Rod Reel Radio. And again, the California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways wants to remind you, boating safety saves lives. It all starts with those in the boat with you. Hey, we are speaking with uh, Russell Black. He is a state biologist for the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. And, and Russell, just a, a, a couple more uh, questions before maybe we ask you about some of the specific lakes. But on quagga mussels, with all the efforts that uh, the agencies have been putting in and, and boaters and inspections and everything like that, how successful has the program to uh, you know, curb the uh, the spread of the quagga mussel been in our lakes here in Southern California. I'd say it's been excellent. If you look at the close proximity that we have between lakes that have quagga mussels versus don't, that both allow public boating. You know, where you could go to Skinner one day and potentially try and go to Diamond Valley, but you know, Diamond Valley's inspection process is very good. I know Cuyamacas, you know, Lake Morena. Um, I'd say it's very good. Yeah. Pretty well, happy with it. Uh, that's great. And obviously those will uh, all continue and everything like that. So uh, glad to hear that. Hey, now, with the health of some of the lakes, let's talk about, uh, quickly about a lake like uh, Castaic. Water level was down really low. Uh, what What's happening at Castaic now that the water level is it just quickly gone up? Uh, 
I'm not too familiar. I haven't been up there since they started putting all the water in. Um, last time I was there was instructing people on a habitat improvement project where the L.A. County Parks and Rec, Fish and Wildlife, and then um, volunteers from Friends of Castaic and Castaic Bass Club were going to start putting habitat in. But that was when the west ramp was still 60 feet dry. Um, I don't. I mean, I know the, the fishery is going to rebound. I'm hearing the guys are having a good time, but I haven't been up there recently. So. All right. Fishing, the fishing up there right now has been pretty tough. Uh, lake came up fairly quickly. A lot of cold water com- coming in here that, that uh, as the lake rose and that most of the fish stayed where the bait fish and, you know, the, the crawdads were because as it raises up all that dry rock and brush, um, nothing lives in it right away. And, and yeah. the brush line doesn't get any moss growing on it, nothing Nothing for the fish to move around in except for the bait fish have to move through it as the, the uh, it's good cover for, for the bait fish, but the bigger fish seem to be suspended and mostly using the middle of the lake and they're still down there, a lot of them where the lake rose from. Yeah, I would say also with that, whenever you know, I get these calls and I'm thinking about it right now, is that the fish that were in there were suffering from, you know, the lake was at 30%, something like that, really low. And you pre- double that amount of surface area, double the amount of available space. There's the same number of fish that were in 30% are now in, you know, 70% of the water. Yeah. So those fish are a lot less confined. You know, I mean, the, I'm sure the spawn helped out with that raising water, but uh, it'll. I don't think it'll ever be as good as Castaic was when it was cranking out 20 pounders. No. <laughs> it's not going to be there again. Trying to make it better. <laughs> Well, let, yeah. let's go. Let's go to a lake where maybe uh, that might happen sometime in the not too distant future. And I know you have spent some time on uh, monitoring what's happening at uh, Lake San Vicente here in uh, uh, San Diego County area. First of all, uh, you know that lake was really low there for a long time. I don't know what percentage uh, of the lake was left when they were building the dam. What seems to be happening there with the fish population? Now that the uh, water level is going up, Russell. So we went in and did a uh, largemouth bass population estimate, looking at only fish that are greater than 12 inches. Um, We shocked the perimeter of the lake six times, tagged over 6,000 fish. And there's a term that biologists use, and it's a condition factor, and it's a relative weight index for the fish, pretty much how healthy is that fish at any size. And the average condition factor for those fish in San Vicente is 103. Um, 100 is considered optimal or great. 90 is considered good. 80 is considered poor. Anything below 80 is considered generally bad. Um, so to see the, that fishery, have a, you know, 103 for an average is really, really good. Um, the population is big and getting bigger. Uh, with so much submerged brush, we couldn't effectively sample certain areas, and we knew we were missing fish. I brought out a lot of local bass clubs and some other volunteers from, you know, like Bass Club of San Diego, Road Rangers, et cetera. And, um, you know, you, you, would, you would see the fish turn with electricity, but they would do a nosedive or you turn right into chaparral that's now submerged. And you're like, well, we're not getting that fish back. Um, 
so we know our, our estimate's very conservative, but the estimate is right around 30,000 fish greater than 12 inches. What was interesting is everyone thought we would see really, really big fish. You know, there was rumors a few years ago when I did a general fish survey there two or three years ago, and someone started to rumor that we shocked a world record fish, and that's just not true. We didn't see anything bigger than eight, eight and a half pounds tops out of 6,000 fish. Wow. Yeah. So, Russ, then, yeah, I, I guess, and I don't know, this is really a sticky subject with a lot of people, but uh, <laughs> in this day of catch and release, uh, are we hurting a fishing, uh, a lake population by really strictly adhering to catch and release? Or are we helping a population? Or is there, you know, sometimes when that's great and sometimes when it's not too good? Uh, probably sometimes it's great and sometimes when it's not too good. It probably goes both ways. I know conversations that I've had with Larry Botroff in the past, the old biologist, um, retired from the state and from the city, San Diego. He would say that even in the 80s, he didn't feel like harvest was high enough in some reservoirs. Under other reservoirs, he thought it was too high, and that was before the catch and release mantra kind of took off. Now, I kind of think about it where I wish guys would catch and release. I wish guys would realize that, you know, just because the fish swims away doesn't mean it's going to survive. Sure. Especially if it's wintertime and you pull them up deep and his eyes are bulging out of him from barrel trauma. Um, you know, the gases in the system have just expanded. Um, but I, I personally, you know, looking at the fisheries, you know, I've, I've yet to see a stunted fishery, a truly stunted. People use terms, and I think they misuse them a lot of times. They'll say, oh, the, the population's stunted. All right, well, if you've ever seen a stunted fishery, it's like a kid drawing a fish that's all mouth and no tail. It's like those deep-sea angler fish that we see that you see on some of the National Geographic channels where it's got a 10-inch mouth and a big head but almost no body to it. Sure. I mean, <laughs> that's a stunted population. That's like one. how Lake uh, Vail Lake was. Oh, really? Big, yeah, they had the big heads and the small body. Yeah. yeah it, I mean, the other, there's a few things that you've got to define within the fishery before you can label it as officially stunted. I haven't seen it. I've seen populations that are struggling to uh, get fish of greater size class, and they all seem to be uniform in size, but there's still plenty of prey and the fish aren't suffering. Um, you know, the way that I would try to say it too is everyone wants these really big fisheries, these really large females. They want to bring in the 10, 12, 15, 20 pound bass. But if you look at a triangle and you draw lines across that triangle, you say, well, only 2% of the population can be this big and this old. And then you kind of have your other life history stages down there. The bulk of the fish are going to be smaller juvenile fish. And as you increase in size up towards the top of that triangle, your fishery weights are going to decrease, and the, or the number of fish is going to decrease, but the weights of individual fish increases. Kind of like the best way that I describe it to anglers and other fishermen. And big fish don't live forever. What's that? <laughs> big fish don't live forever, forever, and we've seen that in lakes where there's been a turnover. I think Dottie was, what, 17 years old? Something yep. like that. Yep. That's, yep. That's an old fish. When you look at the marking sequence for a black bass population estimates, it goes up to 12. So to have any fish live older, like, they don't expect you to see in the literature, like they'll say fish live over 12 years, but 
the marking sequence goes to 12. So that infers to me that it's very rare for a bass to live over 12 years. Otherwise, the marking sequence would go to 15 years or something else, you know? Well, genetically, uh, do I, I kind of look at bass like I do people. Genetically, not all people can be seven feet tall and 300 pounds. I mean, we've got... Uh, uh, can you kind of say the same thing with bass, or genetically, if given all the right conditions, does every single bass have have the opportunity to be a, a double-digit bass? I'd say every bass probably has that opportunity, but it also depends on, you know, that fish's temperament and his aggressiveness towards prey or not aggressiveness. You know, it's the individual fish. I mean. My wife's five foot six. I'm five foot ten. Could I have a seven foot child? Yeah. Is it possible? Probably not. You know. Yeah. I'd, I'd say it's mostly you know if it's the right condition for that fish, that fish is gonna is gonna put on the size and it. You know, the genetics are already in that whole population to produce that fish. It's just all the right characteristics have to line up. You know, good water quality, healthy fishery, healthy system, not too much competition increased prey load. Um, people also forget that when Dottie was caught, that was before quagga mussels. Quagga mussels are now in Dixon, and the mussels have reduced the size and quality and quantity of shad population enormously because the mussels take that food organism away from the shad. So, and that's another thing that we got that I think about at least. Right. Uh, just yeah. one one more question uh, uh, about Lake Barrett. You know, you yeah. have talked about uh, fish being stunted. And we've talked about catch and release here. Here's an example of a lake that's 100% catch and release. Uh, the lake is down, you know, really super low right now. Uh, it's a unique fishery in the fact that it's probably about the pure strain of northerns I think we find anywhere. What What's the situation with Lake Barrett right now and how the fish are doing? So I think there is right now sitting around 3% capacity. I could be wrong, um, but it's somewhere around 3%. And we went in there and did a black bass survey in January. Um, we looked at over 500 fish. The proportion of those fish, like 90% pure northern, 10% hybrid, 8% hybrid, and 2% Florida, something like that. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was 90% ish true northern stream it's pretty unique fishery but the other thing that we noticed in there is that those fish are gorged on shad the ones that are in there yeah with lake dropping you're going to have some assumed mortality because there's not enough space available for the fish but when that's happening you're also constricting all their prey and what we were finding from talking to some anglers and then what we were seeing ourselves in the survey is that as you're measuring the fish on the measuring board before you weigh them they'll puke up a couple of shad and their stomachs were all little baseballs. Those fish are pretty healthy right now. I think they're doing okay. All right. And and just, you know, with a minute or so we got left, uh, Russ, uh, for our crappie fishermen and our bluegill fishermen, if you had to send someone out crappie fishing, where would you send them? And the same thing with bluegill. So in a normal year, for me, I would either wind drift El Cap or I'd go to... Lake Morena, but it's not a normal year. Um, crappie are kind of the the frustration to many fish biologists. There's a lot of literature out there that talks about the difficulty in 
estimating or tracking population booms and busts. And this year, I know we just haven't seen the crappie bite that we have in previous years at a lot of lots. I'll tell you where there's a horrendous crappie bite and big ones uh, for the last couple of years is casitas. Casitas? Big ones and lots of them. Right. Really. Russ? That's one that, you know, it's it's far enough away from me that I don't don't get to as often as I do the San Diego lakes. One of the well-kept secrets because nobody really wanted everybody up there fishing for them. But you you catch them on swim baits when you're trying to catch bass. They was really good. Hey, guys, that's oh, wow. going to gonna have to be it for tonight. We're almost out of time. Russell Black from the uh, California Department of Fish and Wildlife, thanks a lot for being with us. We just scratched the surface on things we uh, wanted to talk about. I hope we have an opportunity to talk with you again in the not-too-distant future. Thank you for being with us. All right. Thank you. All right. Hey, Stan and Wendy. That's it. Uh, Stan, you're not going to be with us next week, but hopefully you'll come back with some stories from the Top Gun 80, huh? I'm hoping so. I'd get on the boat Friday night. I'll be back for, uh, Monday morning, and and hopefully we'll be able to tell you a little bit more on the Sunday after that. Okay. Well, Wendy, we look forward to speaking with you next weekend, too. Thanks a lot for all your questions and the report on that big uh, bluefin tuna that came in. Oh, sure, and I'm going fishing on Tuesday and fishing the L.A. Rod and Reel Club Tournament, King of the Calicos. So hopefully, go get him. Right. Yeah, we'll go get him. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Go get him, guys. Hey, that's it for now. On behalf of Jorge at the AM540 Studios, Ben Harvey, our local producer here in San Diego, and always in memory of Big Tuna Bill and Eddie McCune, we want to thank you, our listeners, for staying with us tonight. We look forward to speaking to you next week on Ron Real Radio, starting at 5.05 p.m. or at uh, a.m. 5.40. So until then, go out there and get them. As Kevin Minio used to say, they're getting away. Good night, everybody. We're out for now. Every time I go out to your place, you've gone fishing. Ah, you know. But there's a sign upon your door. Uh Ah. Gone fishing. I'm real gone.